giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Rebecca Miller-Webster. Hey, Rebecca. Hey. How's it going? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'd love to start talking about uh, Write Speak Code. Great. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, sure. So Write Speak Code um, is an organization that I founded. Now we're sort of talking about it as increasing the visibility of and leadership of technical women. It started as really focused on and still is focused on teaching the skills to become thought leaders, conference speakers, and open source contributors. Mm-hmm. It really came about because, you know, there have been a lot of conversations over the last number of years about not having women speakers, the low number of women who contribute to open source. And I was kind of like, I, I'm in. I will do that. What am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And so I really kind of created it for myself because I just wanted a place where I could really get the concrete. What do I need to do to do this? How does this stuff work? Um, and be in a supportive environment where I could feel inspired to come up with ideas and put those things out there. That's awesome. So it started as a three-day conference, which we still do, where one day is focused on writing or thought leadership. And it's really a lot of studies have shown. And in my experience, one of the barriers for women is that they don't actually believe they have anything important to say or contribute, Mm -hmm. um, which is sad, although I totally identify with it. So we talk a lot about that. And that day was really inspired by the op-ed project, which does something similar for women journalists. Um, Mm. And they've had a lot of success increasing the number of published women's op-eds. Although they found that actually the biggest issue is that women didn't submit op-eds, not as much that they weren't getting published. And we try to end with things that are action oriented. So we come up with a bunch of topics to talk and speak about. We write a, a blog post draft or at least do an outline. And then the second day, speak day, we talk about talk proposals and how the conference selection process works. And then people come up with a topic and they give a talk. Oh, nice. Yeah. Right then and there. Right then and there. So sometimes they do it in pairs, depending on how how comfortable they feel. And then the last day is about contributing to open source. And so the goal is that everybody submits a pull request. You know, it varies. Um, Unfortunately, it's actually for people who are just starting in open source um, and especially, you know, for Ruby, like you have to understand how Ruby gems work and most people's experiences with Rails and there's some differences there. But we had about a third um, of the women at the last conference submit pull requests. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty good. And, And usually I tell them that, their first pull request is set up documentation and fixing it. So yep, totally. That helps. Yeah, I love documentation as an early way of contributing to open source. Yeah, I feel like that's some of the work that's like actually so important, but kind of gets left uh, by the wayside sometimes. It's yeah, such a nice way to help out as a, a newer person to it. Yeah, and setup documentation is easy because they're setting it up for the first time, mm-hmm. and the maintainers haven't done that in forever. Right. So they're really attuned to what are the issues that I'm having and being able to say, oh, this isn't what I needed to do or I need to do this other thing or, you know, I don't know what Redis is and you need to tell me that I need to install it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Just going back uh, for a second to that day one where you're talking about people feeling like they don't have anything to contribute and surprised at how common this is amongst a lot of people, actually, especially like when, when you're on the newer side of things in particular, it's like even though you've been spending, you've just spent six months on this and you've been going like crazy, like you still feel like, oh, yes, but I'm still so new that I can't possibly teach anything to anybody. It's like, well, there are people that are six months behind where you are now. 
Exactly. And so that's sort of what I talk a lot about is sort of reframing the idea of experts that Mm. it's like you don't have to be the like most expert of experts. It's really you're talking to the people that are six months behind you. And Mm -hmm. what did you need and how can you make their lives easier? Um, And that usually and sort of reframing it as, you know, sharing and giving back to the community and teaching more than sort of like being that special, important person who's up on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And I think it also creates a wonderful culture where you have people that are, are like new, new-ish people teaching newer people. Like that, I think yeah. that just—I think you should almost feel a little bit of a debt uh, when you're when you're doing things like you should feel a little bit of an obligation to be teaching newer people all the time. Right. And at Rates Be Code, we do a lot of sort of peer mentorship. Mm-hmm. Like we're constantly like. Yes, it's a conference, but it's it's really more of a workshop. Like conference is a little bit of a misnomer. And so we talk about stuff and then we do it and we have people talk to each other and get feedback. And I think, yeah, thinking of that peer like mentorship, I think we talk a lot about mentors and, you know, ThoughtBot has apprentices, but people can mentor across levels. And even if you're a beginner, there's someone who's right below you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I used to play a lot of this game called Go. And for whatever reason, culturally, there's a very strong teaching uh, habit in Go where you're basically expected to play games with newer people and teach them along the way. Um, and I, that was one of the things that I really loved about it. Like it's very welcoming and it's, it's just because the sort of the best way to learn this game, which is really complicated is to have someone sort of help you on the fly, uh, in person. And I feel like programming is so similar. Like it's just this, this field and this craft is, is there's so much to learn and there, there are so many things that are hard to know that you don't know that there's no substitute for having someone slightly more experienced help you out with things. And so like, given that how good that is, like, I feel like we all have a, the onus should be on us to make sure we're doing some of that all the time a little bit. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, the truth is, I actually think the tech community, especially the open source community, especially Ruby is actually pretty good at that. I mean, if Mm -hmm. you look at other sort of industries and professions, we do a lot of that. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, especially when you're new and you're somewhat isolated from the community, it's hard to see that as something that you can actually participate in and not be intimidated by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's like a little bit of like chutzpah that's required, you know, like a little bit of just like a little bit of like brassiness or something to, to be like, you know what, I'm going to like ask someone to mentor me or I'm going to like, you know, show up at this thing for newbies and like try to get help or ask for help when I need it. There, it, it does take a little bit of guts to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But if you can push through that discomfort, then it's there's there's a lot of opportunities there for people. I still find myself sort of constantly surprised by the things I get when I just ask for them outright. And like, I, I have to f- sort of push myself to like, okay, I'm just going to take a deep breath and grit my teeth and, and ask for the thing I really want, even though it's kind of uncomfortable. And like, it's surprising how effective that is in general. Yeah. That was actually one of my biggest lessons from starting to run a conference, like not having any experience mm-hmm. was just that you have to ask people for money or ask people to come and speak and be a part of it. And nine times out of 10, they're like, yeah, that's awesome. And we're starting Right Speak Code meetups and mm-hmm. I'm sort of... Um, working with a number of women who are um, starting them in San Francisco, New York, and Chicago. And they're sort of having that same struggle. They're like, well, I don't know if I want to, I'm like, just ask them what, what's the worst that's going to happen. They're probably going to say yes. So I do think there's, there's little fear of that, but you yeah. get good things. Yeah, I, I, it's nice though. I think as you as you do it, it emboldens you when you like have a couple yeses under your belt or like a couple noes, and like the, nothing burns down. Like you know, someone says yeah. no, but they're very <laughs> nice about it, and you're like, okay, well that didn't work, but whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So I admire the heck out of people that can run conferences because it's like 
to run a conference from you from the outside it seems like you've signed up for like four thousand to do items that are time sensitive and have like monetary consequences if you fail to complete them um yeah being a conference organizer is really really hard mm -hmm. and super stressful but actually the biggest downside is that you put all this work to make the event awesome and then you don't experience mm -hmm. it at all yeah that's so, brutal yeah but I don't know, but then you come out of it and like everybody's so happy and they thank you and it's 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 like yeah. a wedding, but you don't even get to like attend the wedding at all. Right. It is it is ex almost exactly like a wedding except Man. you don't get to attend it. I mean, the after parties are fun. Mhm. Mm right, sure. <laughs> when you can finally relax. Yeah. Do you have any uh conference organizer tips if someone were considering it? Um you can't do it by yourself. Mhm. Mm you need a lot of other people to help. Um, I think start trying to get sponsorship early, like mm. as early as possible, mm -hmm. but then also don't freak out as it gets closer. If things haven't sort of come through, cause in my experience, there's always like the month or two before you're like, Oh shit, no one's going to give us money. We're not gonna be able to do anything. And mm -hmm. then it actually comes through like the cycle of businesses sort of giving you lots of money <laughs> takes a little time. Shockingly. Mm -hmm. Um, I also will say something we learned in this last rate speed code, which we had in March, is that no one does anything from November to January. Hmm. So if you need them to give you money during that time, you need to either start way early or not have your conference in March. Interesting. <laughs> because people are just like out of work or not not thinking about stuff. And Yeah. I mean, I think like November hits and there's like Thanksgiving and then the winter holidays and then, you know, people are getting back to work in January. Um, and it like takes a little while for people to get back into sort of looking outside the company. Also, I think most companies do their budgets, um, like before the holidays. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, usually, I mean, I think something people don't realize too, is that a lot of tech companies, especially the tech companies that sponsor, events and conferences set aside a bunch of money to sponsor events and conferences. So uh -huh. that money is sort of there and earmarked. It's, it's interesting to me that the economics of conferences basically require sponsors. People just don't seem to be able to just get by on ticket sales. You, it's like you, if you don't get enough sponsors, even if you sell out, you have to cancel the conference because it's, it's just, it doesn't work for some reason. Yes, that's <laughs> totally true. I mean, I, it's hard because, I mean, there's food that you have to pay for. Mm -hmm. There's often venues that you have to pay for. We've been somewhat lucky in Right Speak Code that we haven't had to do that or our, ours have been low cost. But, I mean, I also organized GoRuco, and that was in New York City. That was a very expensive event. Mm -hmm. And then there's the question of, like, speaker travel, speaker honorariums, if you do that. Yep. But then also people expect T-shirts and you have to have lanyards and you have to have signs for sponsors and you have to have like drinks throughout the day and coffee. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of like small things. And then people kind of expect an after party that all like sort of cost money. Right. What is the breakdown roughly of um, like ticket sales versus sponsorship dollars? I mean, I would say ticket sales are like 10 to 30 percent. No way. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Okay, so conferences are like an ad-supported business model, basically. Basically, wow, yeah. Wow, I had no idea it was that that skew was that strong. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's I guess kind it of kind of weird, right? Like, it that, is. That, that's kind of surprising to me. I, get, I although I imagine like 
I'm thinking. I'm just thinking of other events, like like a football game, an NFL game. I imagine like almost all the money comes from selling commercials and selling, you know, the sponsorships to things, versus the people actually in the stadium or whatnot. Yeah, and also food. Hmm, that's crazy. Well, now I know. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah, being a conference organizer is hard. You should yeah. think the next ones you. I think I'll probably see. never sign up for that. <laughs> I've never like gotten the impression from I've, I've talked to like an, a bunch of organizers I've never gotten the impression like you know what I should really just take this on like I have dreams of like certain things I would like to have a conference be like or like a, but I, I think I'll want to have someone else do it <laughs> it's probably not a bad plan yeah I like attending uh, from time to time um, we haven't really introduced you but you are uh, the managing director of the ThoughtBot Chicago office correct I am that's exciting it is exciting how is that going it's good um, I mean, it's sort of ramp up and like yep. 87 million things from working on client projects, doing development to like talking to a bajillion people and mm-hmm. seeing spaces and um, going to events. But it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's sort of constantly changing. Yeah, I, I imagine like switching between like writing code and reviewing office space is like a pretty different set of mind or brain space you have to be in. Yeah, yeah, I'm still figuring out the best way to split my time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you're basically growing an office from scratch, which is not not a trivial task. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. It's not trivial. Yeah, um, I'm excited about it though. It's fun, and I'm excited for like the day that when we have like a team here mm-hmm. and um, we have our own office space. Right now, we're doing sort of various co-working spaces, but that's what I'm most looking forward to. Yeah, have you been in Chicago long? I grew up in Chicago. Um, I started my career here, Mm -hmm. but then I moved to New York and I was in New York for eight years and I moved back to Chicago in the fall. Mm -hmm. And then I started with ThoughtBot in March. Cool. Yeah. And you used to be, at one point you were a VP of engineering for a startup, right? I was in New York. Mm -hmm. They were, they had raised a, a small amount of angel money and it was actually interesting. A friend of mine, um, Francis Wang, who was one of the founders of NYCRB and GoRuco, he for a little while had this tech founders event in New York where startups that were looking for VP of engineering or CTOs or whatever um, sort of pitched to a group of engineers. Hmm. And so that's where I met the woman that I worked for. Um, and we went through like a seed funding round and um, they did handwriting replication. So they had this Mathematica like algorithm, which was like a little bit of a nightmare mm-hmm. that I had to connect to a web app. So it was really fun though. Um, and it was sort of the first time I think I felt like I really built something totally from the beginning to end. And, you know, we had to deploy it and we got users and all this stuff. And I was like, I could do this stuff. All right. Mm-hmm. Like I feel confident in my skills. Nice. Yeah. So you took away sort of a, a sense of uh, I'm awesome from that. Well, uh, more that like I can do most things. Uh huh. There's nothing yeah. like being forced to do everything to kind of yeah. be like, okay, yeah, I can handle all this stuff. Yeah, I can handle it. Today's episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean provides simple and fast cloud hosting built for developers for as little as $5 per month. And now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, do they have auto backups? Yes, they have auto backups. Do they have DNS management? Yes, they have DNS management. Can you deploy a server in a given region that's somewhere across the world? And the answer is yes. Uh, Now, we use DigitalOcean for our Git server on Upcase. It lets people, a whole bunch of people, push to it and pull from it. 
it was pretty easy to set up. It's been solid since. We don't think about it, which is exactly what you want from a host. We never touch it. It just stays up and keeps doing its thing. And that is awesome. The less management I have to do or we have to do, the better. Uh, DigitalOcean offers one-click install for things like Django, if you're in that world, Docker, Drupal, GitLab, MediaWiki, Node, WordPress, Ghost, Magento, all these things. Uh, Ruby on Rails, of course. Uh, many other options. Uh, a nice way to spin up a server that's already set up for whatever kind of stack you're about to use. Their servers are beefy, bunch of CPUs, tons of RAM, SSD hard drives, um, and an active community. Uh, their tutorials are pretty solid. Actually, I've, I've come across the tutorials in Google searches before for how to set things up uh, outside of DigitalOcean, and they are pretty well written. Uh, good community, good forums, things like that. Uh, and so you should check them out. If you need some hosting, check out DigitalOcean. You can go to digitalocean.com and sign up with code GIANTROBOTS with a capital G and a capital R and receive a $10 credit at checkout towards your order. So thank you to DigitalOcean for supporting the show. Just reading up on your bio and whatnot, you, you seem to have had a pretty interesting and varied like development life. Like you're doing all kinds of cool stuff and you're do, doing conferences and you've done tiny little startups and you're working, you know, opening offices and it's, it's kind of cool. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been happy with how your, your career arc has gone so far? Yeah, I really have. I started actually doing .NET development and I worked at an investment bank and, you know, then sort of started working in startups at various stages in New York. Um, I was really happy to sort of move into Ruby. Yeah, I like people and I like managing people and I like teams and I care about teams. And so I like that I get to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's challenging to balance those teams and time management is always a trick. But mm -hmm. but ultimately, I think I'm happiest when I kind of have both of those things in my life. What is it about the management that you like? Well, I think I'm, first of all, just super opinionated about it. So I like that I get to sort of implement and try out things that mm -hmm. I care about or like things that have gone well for me as an employee with a manager or things that have gone badly and not do those things. Mm -hmm. um, but I also like having a team that's happy. I like working with other people and learning from them and creating an environment where that's happening on a regular basis and people are close and enjoy their work life. And I seem to be like, I seem to kind of have a knack for it, which is always nice, you know? Mm -hmm. What about you do you think gives you that knack? I think I'm like pretty sort of empathetic and a good listener. And I can kind of see pretty quickly, like in a conversation with people, um, how they're feeling about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I also think I, I, for whatever reason, am able to sort of look at sort of the big picture of what's happening and say, okay here are the problems we're having, here's how we can deal with this, um, mm -hmm. but also bring other people into that conversation mm. and not have it just be, okay, I'm thinking about this, but instead have it be a little more collaborative. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'm not a perfect manager and oh, of course people not. I've managed I mean, would tell you <laughs> yeah, yeah, bad yeah. things, but... Yeah, it's, it's interesting you, you, you were touching on this. Like To me, it's been interesting how often problems can be resolved just kind of by getting people together and talking about it. Like it's, it seems like I had a, a, coworker, a former coworker who used to say all problems are communication problems. And I, I found yeah. that to be like pretty true. Yeah, I gave a talk once that was like your software problems are actually people problems. Oh, nice. What was the gist of that? It sounds like I got the gist actually. <laughs> yeah, I think that was the gist of it. <laughs> that was the gist of it, yeah. Um, <laughs> Communicate more. Communicate more like when people fight about technology. I think it's really, you need to listen to like 
what matters to them. Mm -hmm. Like they're fighting because they want to like use this JavaScript framework or do this thing or whatever, but it's really about like what's important to them. And I think if you can identify that and get on the same page, um, people are actually probably closer than they think they are. Mm. I also think that people fundamentally mostly just want to be heard and feel like people are actually hearing them and their voice actually matters, mm-hmm. even if the decisions that get made aren't in line with what they want. Totally true. That's such like a subtlety that I think is so important. It's like yeah. you don't, not everyone has to get their way, but they want people to have their way understood and kind of recognized and acknowledged. Right. And that that even if someone's doing something else, they're acknowledging that what they're saying is true and valid and that they're willing to take that risk. Yeah. Oh, I think that's so huge. I would love to invent a machine where like people arguing on the internet are just instantly somehow transported into a room and have to sit together face to face for five minutes and discuss their problem. And I think it would just basically end all trolling and flame wars and whatnot. I think that's probably true. I don't know how you would do it. I but... mean, you, you can't do it. I mean, it's, there's no such thing as this, but like I, if, if it did exist, I think it would be good for the world. Cause I feel like I see so many things that are like fundamentally based on misunderstanding of point of view. Um, or like lack of empathy caused by this anonymous feeling of, I don't know who this person is and they don't know who I am. But if you look another person, human in the eye, like, like there's, I see things on the internet. I was like, you would never say that to someone face to face. That just would never happen. This, this whole disagreement would probably never have reached this level if you had been sitting across from each other. Yeah, absolutely. They've actually done studies that, um, when you put up signs in areas that have people's face on them, it Mm. reduces crime. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do think that's true or like driving and road rage often happens because we can't look at each other in the eye and we can't see people and we can sort of separate them. Yep. Totally. So I think that's absolutely right. When you dehumanize things, it becomes easier to like, you know, do bad things to people. I I, I remember hearing about that crime thing. Like they had a, there was a test of like, you know, there was a box of pencils or donuts or something. It was like, you know, donuts, 25 cents. And if you put up the sign, you know, then like 30% of people pay. And if you say like, you know, 25 cents, they're like, there are security cameras in the area then like 50% of people pay. But if you draw a face on that same sign, then like 70% of people pay. I'm making up all these numbers, but... Yeah, uh, it remember, was something like that. I remember hearing these results too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, we're, we're, we're definitely all about looking and interacting with other human faces. I think we're pretty, pretty wired for that. Yeah. Um, so have you done any uh, interesting speaking stuff lately? Um, I actually recently spoke at TEDx. Oh, very cool. In, it was a new one. In, it was in Chicago, TEDx River North. Um, it was at 1871, which is a really cool co-working startup incubator in Chicago. It was sort of one of the first ones. Um, it's been like the hub of the startup community here. Mm-hmm. So that was really cool. I was so nervous mm. um, because it, it wasn't a technical talk. So it's a little bit harder to know your audience mm. and think about what was the point that I wanted to get across. It was also right after write speak code. So I literally like flew home and came home and like stayed up like practicing my talk oh, and then got up the next day. And talked. So it was also in some ways I, it was probably good. I probably would have been more nervous if I hadn't have done that. But uh-huh. wow. What was your talk about? Um, it was about how everyone can help increase the visibility and leadership of women in tech. Mm-hmm. And how can everyone help? Um, so basically I talked about the different roles that I think people can play and people have played in my life Mm. and sort of some of the impetus for this was thinking about my mom who, Mm. um, has a PhD and was a research scientist. And so, um, I've got some experience from hearing from her and advice from her on working in a male dominated field. Mm. So basically the three roles that I identified 
is sort of being a cheerleader is really supporting people. We talked about people not feeling like they have anything important to say. And some of it is just having a cheerleader, someone who's willing to do that. Mm -hmm. And the other role that I talked about was the offensive line. Okay. Um, I like that. And so the idea behind that was that I think about rights to be code and I think there's a lot of power in having a group of women coming together and, and really feeling safe talking about some of the things that they've, they've experienced, um, Mm -hmm. and feeling supported and inspired in that environment. And, creating those environments can be difficult. So I think of that sort of as having our supporters really make that space for us and help us have that space. Mm -hmm. The third thing is be a spotter. Mm. And so I, I don't know if you've seen this on YouTube. There's like this totally insane. Um, I think they're like the Chinese ballet circus troupe or something. And this woman basically dances in point shoes on her partner's like biceps and head. Wow. And there's this moment where some, I mean, it's basically insane. I don't know how it happens and they're all probably going to like have terrible back issues and stuff, but it's amazing. And someone like sort of runs out and just sort of stands below them. Uh And so one of the things that I talk about is like, the first time I spoke at RailsConf, my biggest fear was that someone was going to stand up and be like, you're totally wrong. You have no idea what you're talking about. And I actually told Sandy Metz this and she was like, okay, think about it this way. The audience is on your side. Mm-hmm. They don't want to listen to that person either. So by shutting them down, you're taking care of them. Mm. But I also knew that I had my friend Abel in the audience who would totally have stood up and been like, sit down, buddy, sit mm-hmm. down. So having that person who, you know, like sort of has your back yep. is an important role. That's super cool. Yeah. So are there, are there common mistakes that people make when trying to help that they can, you can help us avoid? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, sure. Okay. We can talk about this. I think that the most common mistake, and I think this goes back to come of some of what we talked about before mm-hmm. is, is not listening because I think that a lot of people are good intention. They want to do good stuff Mm -hmm. and then they get in their head what needs to be done and then they just do it. Hmm. Except sometimes that's not what needs to be done or there's nuance behind what needs to be done. I think that's a big thing. Like listen to what people want because you can make assumptions about what they want and what they need and all of these things. But I think listening to what people are asking for is really important Hmm. um, and helping them identify and then helping them create that answer if possible. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's just like make sure your conference is outreaching to to women and underrepresented groups so that you have speakers. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's it's more complicated than that. And I think the second thing is if you have an opportunity to let people talk for themselves, let them talk for themselves instead of talking for them. Mm-hmm. Which is more listening. I guess it's more listening. Yeah. yeah. I think listening is is sort of a big challenge. And it again, I think it's partly because people are like, okay, there's a problem. Let's fix it. And we're developers and that's what we do. Right. Dive in and start going. Yeah. And so taking that step back and saying, okay, well, what do you need? And what's the situation that you're experiencing? Okay. So talk less, listen more. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't just charge blindly forward. Yeah. Okay. Got it. So this ties in nicely to something that I a quote I pulled off your uh, personal site, which is you have this list of like three things that you believe in. And one of them is fundamentally what we all want is to be heard. Yeah. You're putting a consistent message out there. 
Thanks. Whoever's in, in charge of your marketing is, is on top of it. Good. It's it's me. Yeah. I don't always feel that way. So that's great. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that I pulled off that list was um, my opinions are strong and strongly held, but easily swayed by evidence and trust. I like that. Yeah. I sometimes feel frustrated by the strongly held, but what is it? Strong, strong opinions weakly held. Strong opinions weakly held. I want people to believe in the things that they believe in, but I think going back to the people want to be heard, I think that if you get people together and you talk about what the underlying motivations are for why they believe those things, Mm -hmm. you can either change their mind or at least get to a place where everyone is okay with the ultimate solution that you come to. Mm -hmm. Sounds reasonable. Yeah. So um, do you want to talk about Becca Complex? Yeah, so the Becca Complex is... Me and GarageBand and my husband. Uh-huh. When I was in New York, I was in um, a couple bands, but we sort of like never really got out of the rehearsal stage. And I just really wanted to record some stuff and put it together. Um, my husband was in a band for 10 years and he plays bass and he, he's really good at it. So he sort of has like played that. And then we've been working together on like learning GarageBand. Well, I worked a little bit and he's worked a lot at it, to be honest, but we've been recording some of the songs that I have or a lot of the songs that I have. Um, I haven't done that much with it, but it's sort of fun and I come back and forth between it, you know, like I'll sort of finish a song or I have a couple songs that are partway done and then I get busy and so then I come back to it. Right now we're actually playing with some acoustic covers, which is fun, although much harder to record. So that's been fun. Huh. You mentioned GarageBand earlier. I was on a, a long road trip this weekend and didn't have uh, cell service. And so okay. on a whim, opened up GarageBand on my phone. It's kind of amazingly capable. Yeah, it really, really is. I was really, it's like, I mean, I probably ended up spending about an hour making this little, like, goofy little song. But, like, it turned out, like, pretty well, honestly. Like, it's kind of magical, though, like, with, like, the auto instruments it has on there. It's like, all right, just, like, strum me, like, some E minor here and then a little bit of A major here. And it just, it turned out kind of great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, no, it's pretty powerful. I mean, I don't care that. I'm okay. First of all, I like punk rock. So, like, recording quality doesn't matter all that much to me. Um, and I, I'm just not like the detail oriented. I'm going to check this one thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure there are like musicians out there that are like, oh, it's terrible. But oh, sure. I think for getting like most of us into recording and being able to make something that sounds good on an MP3 or even like a car stereo and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think will, the experts of any field will always scoff at the sort of like, you know, get beginners going tools. Yeah, uh, but course. that doesn't mean they're not awesome. Yeah, no, it's totally awesome. And I've used a couple other things, Audacity, and I actually had an, a four track at one point. Oh, cool. um, and it totally blows all of that away. Uh huh. Especially for, for me, as for an app, like the level of complexity I'm used to seeing, like for like an iOS app, I was just like, I just, I kept accidentally typing something like, oh my God, this expands into this whole thing and I can edit every little piece of it. It was just, it was kind of mind blowing. Yeah. And one of the things that, well, drummers that I've worked with always lament is that. I never really played with a drummer. And so it's not that I'm like totally off rhythmically. It's just that I change rhythms in the middle of a song mm-hmm. randomly. Like the chorus will be a totally different rhythm. Yep. And GarageBand has some really cool stuff that like helps you do that. And you can like actually edit. I don't know. There's an insane amount of editing that you can do. I feel like every time I go in there, I actually like discover something new. Yeah, totally. We should have had them sponsor the show. This would have been a really good, <laughs> good tie in. So is there anything else that we should uh, talk about? Anything you're doing upcoming or you're excited about? 
or do you have anything you want to plug? Any upcoming things you want to mention? Definitely write Speak Code. We're starting meetups in New York, San Francisco, Chicago. So there's all upcoming. They're on Meetup. Mm-hmm. It's at writespeakcode.com if you want to check those out. Yep. Looking for sponsors? We're always looking for sponsors. We'll probably be doing some one-day workshops that are usually free in the fall in various places. And then we'll be starting planning for 2016. I'm also working on some cool like getting started in open source in Python with PyLadies in Chicago. And um, I'm thinking about doing Ruby. So there's a lot of fun stuff that hasn't really solidified yet Mm -hmm. that I'm excited about that's coming up. And it's really actually a matter of me reining myself in when it comes to a lot of the right speed code stuff. Gotcha. A little overambition, perhaps? Yeah. Well, it's you just have so many ideas. Totally. So today's show was produced and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 148. Thanks for listening. 